Pastor Michael Washington, will you please come join me? Uh, Pastor Michael is our preacher for this morning, and uh, he's been in ministry with me at this church for 12 years, I want to say, I'm 13. And I'm grateful for our brother and grateful for his ministry. And as he continues to serve our church as the pastor of pastoral care, I want to lift him up this morning as he gives the word. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you and we praise you for our brother this morning. As he comes and shares your word of God's path towards us, pray that the words that you have planted in his heart, soul, and mind, the words that he's been marinating, praying, thinking, that those words would come forth with clarity, with conviction, with power. And I pray that as words are spoken, God, they will land on good soil. Open our ears, open our ye eyes, and open our hearts to receive what you would have for us this morning. Use your vessel powerfully this morning, whether they've been here for weeks and months and years, or someone who's here for the first time. May they hear and sense the very heart of our Creator God. May you increase and may our servant decrease this morning as your spirit comes forth. We're ready, Lord. In your name, amen. We'll just use this for the rehearsal, Jesse, and then I'll go to the right mic. Just going to rehearse once. He is here, hallelujah. He is here, amen. He is here, holy, holy. I will bless his name again. He is here, listen closely, hear him calling out your name. He is here, you can touch him and you'll never be thus. Now take that gospel out of it. We're just going to do choral now. Just, it's the rehearsal, all right? You have the words. This is rehearsal. This is where you just figure it out. This is for the end, but we're going to play like we're practicing. I am Baptist. Come on. He is here. Come on, church. Hallelujah. He is. Amen. Amen. He is glory 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 i will bless his name he is listen listen closely hear him calling out your name he is you can touch him and one more time Come on, now you practice. Sing it for real. He is, he is here. Hallelujah. 
rehearsal so when we sing it play like you know it and do it right all right bow your heads bow your heads Thank you for being here. Thank you for being within reach this morning. My sisters and brothers are with me today in your presence and we know that there's so many things in our worship service that can connect us to you. And just in case what I've prepared isn't a connector for somebody, would you speak now to her, to him? same for being here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. I am presenting to you a specific topic this morning, a specific thought that's in line with what our brother Mark Severson preached last week. We're going to go to a passage of scripture in the Gospel of John that is often used uh, to talk about the topic of worship. But I'm going to spend time with you listening to the text about something different. 
And as I've thought about it this week and over the last couple of weeks, it, it may feel introductory, it may feel preliminary to you, in some ways it does to me, uh, because we're not going to the part of the text that most times we go to. And rather than talk about worship, we'll talk about what happens prior to it. So uh, let's look in your Bibles or on the screen if you don't have your Bible uh, to John uh, chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. I want you to read it with me just so uh, we can pretend that, that I'm not doing all of the talking today, okay? So uh, get your voice, clear your throat, and let's read together. Again, it's on the screen. It's in front of you. What's on the screen is the New Living Translation. Read the one uh, from your memory or from your Bible or from what's here. Ready? Come on. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Thank you for reading the word of God for us. As I've thought about my message, I've wondered in my own soul, how it is that God would lead me to discussing something that feels a little bit unfinished. And not unfinished because my notes aren't done or because my manuscript isn't finished, but because I've generally heard this text and the verses after them preached in response to what God does in this Samaritan woman's life. How many of you are familiar with this passage? A few of you, right? The part of the text that I won't preach is about a woman who meets Jesus at this well, at Jacob's well, talks with Jesus in a life-changing conversation, and who then lives in response to that life-changing encounter. This woman, this unnamed Samaritan woman, talks with Jesus about relationships, about worship, and then she is changed. She is converted. She is an, in an encounter with Christ and acts as if she has met God. I'm not going to listen to that part of her story, at least not directly. Rather, this morning, I'm going to invite you to sit with me in these prior verses before she shows up at the well. And I'm going to do that for this reason. God, when coming to her, passed through places. God, when coming to you, when coming to me, God, when coming to us, 
passes through places. Clearly, Jesus comes to this woman later on in the text. He is waiting for this woman. Still, God in making a path to her and God in making a path to you and God in making a path to me passes through places. And I want to talk about those places. I don't want you to hear me this morning, because I'm only going to say this in the beginning, uh, that I don't want you to hear me thinking and saying and suggesting that God is not concerned about her, that God is not concerned about you, that God is not concerned about me and us. I want you to hear me saying something different, this prior warning to us as a community that we might be sensitive to hearing in Scripture the powerful way that God God's approach to us is always an approach through, by, for, and in places. God who loves people, this is my sermon in a sentence, God who loves people also loves places. Just as God's path in Jesus comes to this woman whose story many of you have heard about, just as God's path in Jesus uh, comes to her, the path of Jesus also comes through Judea and Galilee, Samaria and Sakaar. So this morning, rather than talk about her and the worship that happens as she encounters Jesus, I want to talk about how God's path to us is a path through places. The first place is Galilee. Say the word Galilee. Okay, all right, now you sang. Now you got to say. Say the word Galilee. Galilee. There you go. God's path leads through places we've lived and left. Uh, Jesus in this text goes from Galilee. We find him in Judea and he says, I'm going back to Galilee. So he's left Galilee in Judea, going back to Galilee. He's lived in Galilee, left Galilee. And so in, 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 in our work with him, I want to talk about Galilee as a place where Jesus has lived. Now, where you live may not say everything about you, but it says something. Now hear me really kind of carrying the water that Brother Mark preached talking about community last week. You have to link because, you know, the Spirit obviously was working with both of us around uh, some of the same themes. And, and so where you live says something about you. And the same is true for Jesus. Galilee was the region in Jesus' home area, uh, the city of Capernaum. Uh, so if you will, think of it as a district. It's not a state, but if you have to think of it that way, Capernaum would be the city of Jesus' home base. Galilee was the area, the district, but it was much more than that. It, it captured the area where many of the New Testament stories took place. It also uh, captures much of where the First Testament's major events occurred, although in the Old Testament you hear it talked about as Naphtali, not Galilee. 
One writer said that the greatest roads of the ancient world went through Galilee. You could travel through Galilee and get to frontiers. You could travel through Galilee and get to Egypt. You could travel to many other places. And in some ways, Galilee provided access to everywhere. It symbolizes the area where Jesus lived, where he did his ministry. He loved in Galilee, worked for God's kingdom there, and this text has him going, uh, uh, going from Galilee. He's in Judea and back there. God's path leading through this place. This movement of Jesus, uh, this movement of Jesus invites us to look backward. That's an important part of life with Jesus looking back. It's not the only movement, and the text will have three movements, but it's one of them. It's an important one. And so I want you to think this morning about where you have been with God. Where have you and Jesus spent time together? Brother Mark primed us to think about community, to think about the roads we are walking on, the roads and places that are important to God where we are passing others through, thinking about that familiar uh, Samaritan story. And here we have another similar story in that we're invited to think about those places that you and God have traveled through, have lived in for his kingdom. Think this morning about the places where you've lived and see Jesus this morning coming to remind you and coming to remind us that he left Judea and returned to Galilee and in his doing so leaves you a trail for leaving and returning as Jesus returns to this place. In every step, Jesus is working, healing, and proclaiming the gospel of God's kingdom coming close. Sometimes I think in our effort to avoid where we've come from, we act like it doesn't matter. Your Galilee may be your uh, family of origin. It may be your, your latest history. It may be where you last um, served as a volunteer. It, it may be um, your last physical address. Perhaps there are open matters for you in those places. Perhaps you uh, have left matters 
open with God. And this text is an invitation for you to rehearse the ways that God has walked through your life and not just your life today or this week, but all along. Maybe God's path to you includes walking through those places. Perhaps God who comes to you also comes by those places that you've passed. Verse 3 says, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. It's, it's simple, it's deceptively simple, and we might be tempted to pass these words and claim that they're only introductions to a main event, as if God walking through a city isn't a main event. Just maybe a God who leaves one place in order to attend to another is the God we most need. Perhaps a God who is not just about a personal encounter but is also about an encounter with a district is a God we need to have before us. Perhaps we need a savior who saves not only the characters of our stories, the people in our past, but also the settings of those pasts. Maybe we need a God who is powerful enough to go through the painful places of yesterday and mourn there or go there to those celebrated places and dance there. Perhaps God in Christ here who passes by the ruins of history and remembers is the God who relates to some of us this morning. John says that Jesus does those things. He visits Galilee, passes through Galilee. The second place is Samaria. Say Samaria. God's path leads through places where we've lived, where we've left, Galilee's in our lives, but God's path also leads through Samaria, and Samaria in this text really is a, a, a city that is avoided and feared. Samaria is a different section of the country. It's, it's a place uh, during Jesus' time where Jews did not go. It was an avoided place. It was a feared place. Samaria was the place where uh, you, if you were Jewish, especially if you were from Judea, where Jesus was immediately coming from, you didn't readily go because it was fear filled with what uh, they called at the time half-breeds. 
So to be clear, some Jews went to Samaria, but not the folks who came from where Jesus was immediately coming from. So, so imagine in your mind Jesus coming from this scene with the Pharisees, these religious leaders who are arguing with him about baptism and the ethics and practice of his ministry. Uh, they've gotten the facts wrong. They think Jesus is baptizing, and uh, John kind of notes that it's really his disciples who are doing so. But Jesus leaves Judea, leaves the community of people who don't go to Samaria, and he says, I must go where everybody else from here avoids. These half-Jewish people, since the time of Assyrian occupation, had created their own religious customs. They had their own temple. So appreciate as we get through this, this sermon how Jesus leaves the community of Jewish people who don't go to Samaria having theological fights and goes to the community that most folks he just left says you don't go to and sits and talks to a woman who has a temple and a religious practice that the opposite of where everybody else has. culture then was not warm to intermarriage, biracial and multiracial relationships. Much of Judaism was about the preservation of the specific culture, history, and religion within Judaism. It wasn't about expanding beyond those sacred limits. Much of Judaism at the time was about preserving the specificity of God's people, not expanding it, not going beyond those important sacred boundaries. It was about observing those expressions, cultures, and practices that made the Jews the people of God. Samaria was avoided because it went against all that Judaism really was about. And this was God's path. Perhaps if you had business, you'd go, but you'd make it your business not really to have business there. Samaria was, was where those other folk went. You wouldn't be going as a good Jew. You wouldn't Go there. You wouldn't make your residence in Samaria. Why even pass through if you're not interested in being there? Why go to a well there when you can go to wells in other places? Uncommitted people lived in Samaria. Questionable people visited Samaria. It was the city for mixed races and not of the currently fashionable multicultural person who lives in Wicker Park or Hyde Park. Somehow Jesus puts in his mouth these words in the New King James, I must needs go through Samaria. What intent from Jesus? 
No matter your translation, you can't get away from the passion, the hunger, the desire under Jesus' words. He needed to go through the place where others avoided. He shows us something about the working and wondering of a God who walks through the feared places, the avoided places, the rejected places. Can you think of any in your life? Any feared places in your life? Can, can, you, can you, while I'm speaking and talking, can you see any images of, of avoided places? You know, like I do, that we often tell each other how we ought to be in order to earn God's presence. Usually, we don't do it explicitly. We're a bit uh, smarter than that. We're more sophisticated than to come out and tell people, you know, you got to get your act together before God loves you. Somehow, it's in the culture of our spiritual genes that we have to live up to a standard before we come to church. Before uh, we see God, we have to meet a threshold in order to meet grace's criteria, pass a test around life choices, lifestyles, living conditions in order to earn what Jesus brings when he passes through Samaria. His passing through obliterates this poor notion that you have to have the right religious custom for God to come. His passing through this feared and rejected place evens the field for us who try our hardest and still miss it. His coming says, if you don't pray this way, when you first rise in the morning and at the noonday, if you come up with a whole different custom, God comes to you. When Jesus visits places that you've avoided, you can't help but look at those places with a new lens. After all, if Jesus will pass through a place, it's probably worth my going there. It's probably worth my going through there. It's probably worth my looking intently to see what will happen there. Think about places in your life. Think about where you go to work and what you avoid when you go to work. If Jesus is willing to pass through the places I avoid, perhaps it's worth wondering, might God 
Now here's where we look to living toward this text. If there are people you find yourself never talking to, maybe they live in Samaria. If there are peers who you find yourself rejecting but knowing little about, maybe they live in the avoided place. If our church promotes events that you never attend, that you've never attended, and when asked why you come up with nothing substantial, maybe that's your Samaria. You might ask, is there something about the good news that I fear? You might ask, is there something about a ministry of racial reconciliation that I dread? You might ask, is there something about being a part of a praying, worshiping community, serving there that I flee? Maybe I'm noticing my own Samaria. Maybe I'm noticing one of the places where Jesus is walking. Jesus goes through Galilee in this text, looking backward. Jesus goes through Samaria in this text. He goes through this third place called Sukkar. Say that word, Sukkar. God's path leads through places where we've made meaning and been refreshed. Now, I might not have this pronunciation right, but like my Old Testament professor used to say, however you say it is how it's said. Tishbaav. Tishbaav is a fast day in Judaism. And it was observed this past Monday night into Tuesday. It's a 25-hour observance. And the fast is a commemoration or it's in commemoration of the destruction of both the first and second temples in Judaism, in Jerusalem. Uh, so uh, Tishbaav is this commemoration where Jews will essentially mourn um, the destruction of the temple first time, second time. And it's also a come to mean a commemoration of those places in the history of Jews um, uh, that are meaningful, such as the assassination of an archduke, which led to World War I, which led to World War II. Uh, and, and, and a lot of rabbis will write about the current significance of Tishbaav now and how the events that are happening in the world around us are, are meaningful places for the Jewish people. I think of this week's day of fasting and mourning as I think about Sukkar and God having a need to visit this historical place. 
In the text, Jesus went to a well. He went to Jacob's well, and he sat at the well. God in Christ leaves a place. God heads to a place, and God sits at a place. These movements of God are worth holding on to as you think about your life with God. Is, is God. is God moving from something in my life? Is God heading to something in my life? Is God sitting somewhere in my life? He's sitting here at this well. Jesus sits at this marker of historical and practical meaning. The Bible says he was tired. He had obviously traveled to get there. He was weary as he sat beside this well, Jacob's well. The well was dug out down about 100 feet. The water was not from a spring, but from collected rainwater. Now, now I, I love the complicated, almost paradoxical image of the living water, the image of God who refreshes, being the one tired from a long journey. I love the image, the striking image of Jesus who brings water, being thirsty. In Galilee, Jesus is moving in Samaria, Jesus is really upsetting. He's, he's passing through and his presence is theologically problematic because of who he is, where he's coming from, and where he's going through. Walking through this neighborhood, you are a problem. In Sukkar, God is exhausted. Thirsty. Am I the only person who gets a kick out of that? Just how does the living water get thirsty? To me, it suggests an image of God and how God comes and how God arrives as a very different God than most of us usually think. At least me, I think of the part where Jesus talks to this woman later on about what he gives and how refreshing what he has is. I think about that Jesus. I don't think about the Jesus who is weary. That's theologically complex. It's worth passing over most of the time. Does your image of God allow for a tired and exhausted Jesus? Does, does your image of God hold and have enough room for a Jesus who not only is living water, but is thirsty? The God coming in this passage comes to the place where she and her people had meaning, drew life from, and return to regularly.
and he sat there. Perhaps you felt the striking soul question, can Jesus relate to me? Or does God get where I am right now? I think this question really comes from the underside. It's not the question you ask when all is well. It really isn't the question that comes to you when you feel like you're on top of the world. It's the kind of question that when you're exhausted, you ask. So, so maybe, maybe this is a question for now. Maybe this is a question for later. But, but, but the question, I think, rising from Jesus coming tired and exhausted, his path taking him through all these places, offers an answer. Jesus, who is tired and thirsty, who is exhausted and weary, comes to the same well, to the same rainwater. He comes to the same place where she comes and to the same place where you and I do. God is working, walking, sitting to meet you and us where we least expect, but where we may often be. Sakar, Samaria, Galilee. Maybe God is walking, working, and sitting to meet you. Logan Square, the south side, your suburban house, your family's vacation spot at the end of the month. Maybe God is walking, working, and sitting to meet you. The low end, the high end, the food desert, the country garden, Maybe God is walking, working, and sitting to meet you. The drug house, the rehab center, the counselor's office, your cousin's deck on the boulevard or in the alley. Maybe God is walking, working, and sitting to meet. Jesus can meet you wherever you see yourself sitting, waiting, working, playing. Maybe that's the whole point. If you look back over the last 24 hours, there isn't a place where you went where Jesus can't be. If you look at what you plan to do over the next 24, there isn't a place where Jesus isn't sitting exhausted. He can come to the old path, the same bar, the same old diner. He can come to the same school or the same backyard, the same prayer closet, the same floor. God's path cuts through those places. And in coming through those places, reclaims those places before reclaiming you. Where does God go where God's trail isn't left? 
doesn't, doesn't come when you have the conversation. It comes all along the path where God's light and presence and water has been left. It could be a place in your history. It can be a place where you've never had the courage in your heart to visit. It can be a place in your mental health history where you've only been in your mind and then only long enough to resist going. See him. Jesus walking there, journeying through those soul-significant places. Is it Sukkar? Is it Samaria? Is it Galilee? God in Christ comes, and where God in Christ comes, God only redeems. So last points. I call them applications. They might not be. First is life with Jesus may feel like movement. Movement implies uh, transition. Movement implies that God isn't staying in the same place. Movement implies that what God does in your life may take time, but will always feel like activity. Now, this text doesn't show the whole thing, but this text suggests a Jesus who is who is in motion. Secondly, life with Jesus may involve your going to places, returning to scenes, and sitting. He was tired. And he needed two things. Jesus needed to go to Samaria, and he needed to rest. These contradictory needs? Or maybe they just were the paradox of what life with Jesus is, going to these places. Next, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is with us during the markers, chronologies, and points along the way. His footprints were in all these places. Are y'all listening to me this morning? What is true is not just that Jesus visits these places, because I think to be, to be real and to be in, in my feet right now is to say that Jesus isn't walking down Logan Boulevard. Uh, Jesus isn't walking down Schubert. In a few minutes, we will be. Which says that the way Jesus comes is through this new community. The way Jesus comes is through you and us. Uh, um, which means we don't revisit these markers and these points along the way alone. That, that the idea of Jesus walking to many places is Jesus walking through us. 
Jesus isn't coming to you. The church is. So when you open yourself up to the life of the church, you're opening yourself up to the life of Jesus. Jesus makes his home for us as we go. Next point, last, last three, the last 12, I don't know. Uh, Jesus <laughs> makes a home for us as we go. I choose to see Jesus as consistent and I imagine him journeying through these places always bringing the nearness of the kingdom when he comes. And you know what the kingdom is? They're really fine phrases that we can use to talk about the kingdom of God and we can give, give hefty definitions for it and we have them. But you know what another way of talking about the kingdom is? Is as your home. Jesus brings home when he comes. And that's the work of the church, to bring each other home. To gently face the markers in our history and to graciously support each of us as we walk from one place to another. How do you do that? How do we do that? As Pastor Peter talked about small groups, I'm thinking about how we make homes for each other. How we, how we create community as we journey through the places in our lives. Last thing I'll say is that Jesus may be moving, but not speaking. Now you have to know that I am Baptist, but I'm a Pentecostal, so I call myself Baptocostal. I'm a covenant pastor who is Baptist, okay? And if you want an explanation of that, email me. One of the things that means is uh, that as a Pentecostal, I'm betraying myself anytime I talk about God not speaking. Because Pentecostals always have a word from God. I mean, you know, God's always speaking. Ask, wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and ask me what God's saying and see what comes out of my mouth, right? Because God, God's always talking. God, that's what the Holy Spirit does at that text in Acts, that early Acts text, one, two, three, all four even. God is showing how the Spirit always has something to say in any language. So when you come to a text and you don't read through it and you see Jesus not saying anything but going through three or four different areas, wait a minute, what was he saying? What was he speaking? How was he presenting the gospel? How was he talking to people? Uh, he left the theological debate where words were being said and just went through areas. Just moved through communities. Just walked around. I mean, maybe he said stuff, and we like to think that. I mean, that theologians and commentators who will tell you what he said, even though it ain't in the Bible. Because God's out there Pentecostal, too. All of them. They don't know it. They're Pentecostal. Yeah. 
I believe that most people of faith, most of us privilege words. And it's a crashing of our faith when God just sits. When God just goes on moving around and not telling you what in the world you're doing. The spirit can be quiet, say nothing at all, and move. Come on. Sit before he plays the keys. Just come close to how close God is, and then we'll do what we practice but sit.